Not long ago, in a far-off corner of a place called the Internet, a revolution was born. Forged in the fires of common experience, the survivors of a mysterious movie known only as A Talking Cat came together. Their purpose, to dissect this fascinating failure of a film and broadcast their findings through the cosmos in hopes that future generations might learn from their mistakes. Some would call them heroes, others would call them mad, but despite the grueling road ahead of them, the group would take up this Sisyphean task and become a talking cast? Are they adventurers, sinner as a savior's or Are they demented, love the punishment, I can't be sure But one thing I do know is that the mission here to force To make your life so hard that you'll be pissing on your kitchen floor Welcome everybody to A Talking Cast It is the A Talking Cat podcast that nobody ever asked for But here it is and you're being forced to listen to it I'm your host, John Kowaleski And with me today are my guest host, uh, Daniel Doughty Hey, hey And Phil Gonzalez. Hello, Phil. Hello, how is everybody doing? Ah, fantastic. Marvelous, really. For those of you playing the home game, that is minute 5501 to minute 56. And so what's happening here is we are in the post-dropping of the cheese puffs. (laughs) Yes. God, I love drilling down like this. We're not even getting the action of the cheese puffs being dropped, which I'd like to point out, even though I'm sure it was covered just a minute before, we never see the cheese puffs actually fall, and they were sealed anyway. But anyway, so we get the end of that, and, you know, Tina, you know, walks away. She's really pissed. She says, I'm an adult. Susan's angry at her, just sort of fuming, and then or Phil runs out, he's all sweaty. <laughs> sweaty and <laughs> Phil is sweaty, amazingly enough. He is a sweaty man. <laughs> he is a very sweaty man. And, you know, he's he's bemoaning, talking to himself about how he ruined everything. Tina runs up to him, starts, you know, pumping him for information, walks him off to show her whatever the heck is going on there. And then Trent eats a sandwich. <laughs> and he's very good at that. He can eat a sandwich almost as well as he can fix a fence. So... Um, who wants to jump in on this? Wow, well, where do you where do you even begin to jump in on this scene? I would just like to jump in on the fact that um, uh, Phil excoriating himself as he's walking sweatily away when he uh, says, I believe verbatim, "Great, Phil, you ruined the lady's cheese puffs and her business all in one day." As he sweatily mutters to himself, delighted me to no end, um, just because. <laughs> We're we're dealing with a reality wherein these cheese puffs are the single most important element in this woman's continued viability as a business owner. Yeah, I'm not going to put that on Phil either. I'm going to put that entirely on her because she is she, she's put everything that she could possibly want into this one not just cheese puffs this one single batch of cheese puffs <laughs> that's that's true and somehow too that I, I don't quite understand. Granted, it's the minute before this, but. You know, they were hot. She took them out with her with bare hands. No, with her bare hands. With bare hands. But of course, if you're a restaurant person, which I was for a little period of time, you do create a callus, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, and then Phil, you know, holds them. They're too hot or he gets surprised or whatever. Yeah, and it makes, I think there was actually a slight, like, sizzling sound effect inserted. Yeah. They enter a sizzling sound effect. She has hands made <laughs> so out of adamantium. Just, yeah. 
<laughs> she's that good of a caterer. It, it makes me wonder, like, why her business is suffering so much. I mean, she's super powered for catering. Well, she had to do the lifting a hot tray of cheese puffs before she was granted ninja status. <laughs> she had to carry it all the way across the uh, all the did way you, across the room. Did you ever see the uh, you know the old show Kung oh, Fu yeah. with David Carradine? Yeah, oh, we're yes. in the opening. We're in the opening. Carries him with before his arms. he can he can leave, he has to take his arms, put them against the hot big iron pot that burns whatever dragons into his forearms if you look at her if and you look at her palms burned there are her dragons palms. no it's two cheese puffs <laughs> two cheese but that's only because that's the symbol of her clan i was gonna say that's, that's also true. kind of a vague shape how can you identify it as a cheese puff instead of say a cloud or well, bird i think they i think they have a little bit of a yin and yang type of look to them <laughs> oh that makes some sense um and you know what I would love to talk a little bit because there's so there's actually so little to talk about here. <laughs> but I would I would really like to talk. I didn't get a chance to do this the last time. I want to talk about Johnny Whitaker. Please do. Um, what about uh, him? I I <laughs> I grew up watching this guy yeah. when he was a kid. Now, granted, I you know Family Affair, which for people who you know don't bother with minutia of TV was a you know a sort of dramedy mm -hmm. i guess in the 60s basically kind of a you know bachelor raises kids yeah. from a friend of his or something yeah. like that a real family and affair, so johnny would <laughs> yes a real family <laughs> affair and and it also had uh you know mr french the famous mr french uh sebastian cabot and then what I really knew Johnny Whitaker from was Sigmund and the that's Sea Monsters. What I, that's what I knew him from. I knew him from Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. A strange looking yeah, boy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that was Johnny Whitaker, you know, I don't know, it may be 12, 13, something like that. And, you know, it was a Sid and Marty Croft show. Mm -hmm. It's, it, you know, is the basic premise of all of their shows that somebody meets a whole bunch of weird beings. But I think this is one of the very few shows which is kind of, you know, depressing in its own way, where it's not a kid who gets lost in some sort of land, like with giant hats or bugaloos <laughs> or some other vermin. You know, this is actually sea monsters who are, you know, little people in, you know... It's it's Billy Barty dressed like a Brussels sprout. <laughs> yes, it is. With tentacles. With tentacles. A tentacle Brussels sprout with a little person inside. A tentacle Brussels sprout. Yeah, Billy Barty and all the Bartys of this family because there's, you know, there's a lot of them. And uh, with big googly eyes. But, you know, they come to visit Johnny Whitaker right, who's right. kind of a, you know, a, a beachcomber kid with some other miscellaneous kid who I can't remember. Bill's another kid, yeah. And Johnny Whitaker also was Tom Sawyer in a musical, uh, a movie musical with Jodie Foster as Becky Thatcher. Wow. This is like, this is also early 70s. Sadly, no one ever tried to kill a president for Johnny Whitaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not an American president. They're probably a president yeah, of some smaller say, foreign nation. That yeah, we can't guarantee <laughs> that there wasn't an attempt made on uh, that crazy Turkmenistan dictator or something in right, the name right. of Johnny Whitaker. <laughs> this is for you, Johnny. <laughs> this is for you, Johnny. And and your poor, your poor, poor um, career. But I just, I had to talk about him because he was, you know, he was just... You know, so much of of that kind of you know of that of that time of the seventies yeah. and all the Sid and Marty Croft well, stuff. So it kind of dovetails into what I was thinking about uh, before we started recording. We were talking about our attitudes towards the movie in general, and <laughs> I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to honestly go on the record and saying that I actually find this an enjoyable movie to watch. Uh, 
I this is not ironic. Yeah. I have no taste. So oh, I watched wow, this movie. Okay. But one of the things that I really like about this movie, and this is just coming from an acting perspective, is each person, each cast member, has a distinct acting style. And Johnny Whitaker's is definitely Sid and Marty Croft, circa <laughs> 1970s. Everything's really big and disjointed, and he sort of does everything line by line. Um, Tina is far more naturalistic. Uh, Susan is like... Susan is a, a master course, I, I think. I, I Her performance is the most real of all of these robotic weirdos that we're watching. She, she has the flappiest flappy arms that Aww. I've ever seen. But I've seen... Aww. No, 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 I mean like... Now that's being awfully n- mean to No, 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 no. A, I'm not talking about know. her body type. I'm talking about the way she flaps her oh, arms okay, okay. from her waist. Oh, okay. I was going to say, she's probably pretty toned from picking up no, 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 blazing she's hot toned. Uh, she, she's, cheese puffs all the time. No, she, she, she lifts her... Like, she does this weird thing with her arms that I see on a lot of stage actors do. Ah. It's the I don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> right. problem. It's uh, g- giving your arms the business. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> And uh, what's funny is Trent, I have this theory that... Oh, Trent. I have this theory <laughs> sweet, that Trent, sweet Trent. <laughs> Trent. Trent, to me, is the main character of this movie. Ah. He is the central character. And the only reason, the only thing I have to back this up is he seems so happy and so delighted in every single scene. He has this look on his face of just like, this world is going to be absolutely perfect. And I can only, I can only back that up by saying, I think that his character is supposed to be a time traveler. Uh, and he's I, gone back yeah. in time <laughs> to fix he's doing what the cat is supposed to be doing because he looks so satisfied every time every single thing happens in this in this film he gets this look in his eyes just like yep yeah i i was i was gonna chalk it up to uh that he is in fact a highly advanced Taoist. <laughs> that he has so fully embraced the way of uh the way of uh inaction as action and just uh, the way he flows as the water down the rill with all <laughs> events around him. I, I really think he's, you know, he, he's, he's been visiting some one of those bullshit California ashrams or something for, It's you know. almost as if he's unaware he's in a movie. Uh, right, right. He's, you know, and wouldn't or it be great if the all camera of has started rolling? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's more, I think he's more, like, he is just, like, keyed in as much as Lao Tzu here. I'm, I'm saying it. <laughs> well, he, he does this, when, the, uh, when he's eating the sandwich... He, uh, there's this moment, and this is something that happens throughout, I don't know if this has been covered before, but the, whoever's operating the camera is so violently determined to make sure that whatever they're focused on remains in the center of the frame, <laughs> that the, that the camera jerks up with the sandwich, right. like, really quick, like, oh, I gotta keep that, I gotta keep that sandwich in the middle of the frame. So it just follows that sandwich up as fast as he lifts it to his mouth, and throughout the entire movie, if you watch the, whoever is operating the camera is trying to keep everyone's eyes dead center. So if they move their head like three three inches to the left, that camera is going to move with them. And it's completely unstabilized, and it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It almost made me seasick <laughs> watching it because I don't think the person operating the camera knows that you can just let it record what's happening in front of it. Like right. If it's, I think they're, they're almost using the camera as, <clears throat> um, as a more or less literal extension of their own eyes, wherein if you're watching someone, you sort of try to keep eye contact. Maybe it's just strapped to their heads. <laughs> maybe like, so. It's this maybe it's a GoPro. They yeah. used to have the camera strapped to their face. Well, I, I think they also know that you know people are not going to see this in Cinerama, and that you know everything everything's got to be so dead center. <laughs> yep. Because of you know some sort of maybe new format of of home video watching that will be you know just a snippet in the side of your eye. Right. Um. So that you know you can always see 
you know, Phil and his swoopy hair and his jazz beard <laughs> and, you know, and know that it's there at all times. And, of course, they have to show him eating the sandwich because otherwise well, yeah, how if do you, he simply offered yeah. his mother the sandwich, an audience member might be confused as to what that was. Yeah, where the hell did that sandwich come from? They haven't established sandwiches. <laughs> What's a sandwich? What would she be possibly yeah. do? Oh, eating it. You eat one. I can just see David, I can just see David Dakota going, oh, God, we need a transition for when she comes in. <laughs> oh, just... Just eat a goddamn sandwich. Either that or that was his payment for the day. <laughs> that, that, that was That's probably it. How many sandwiches? Because if you Can look closely... Yeah, well, he, he only made three sandwiches on this movie because it was only made in <laughs> He just three kept days. deliberately blowing take after take because he wanted more and more sandwiches. Well, he also had to give... 10% of those sandwiches to, to his agent. Right, right. And that's also based on the idea that they did more than one take of any of this. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Going back to the it was, oven it was all crust. removal of the cheese puffs. <laughs> I was going to say, when Phil is walking through the forest talking to himself and Tina runs into the shot, she literally just runs into the shot. From a completely different direction. Of, right. From a completely <laughs> different direction. From the he same doesn't place. hear her coming. She's She's... <laughs> Two steps away from it, all of a sudden she just pops in like a genie. Yeah, the classic, the classic. Nothing exists out of the frame of the film. It's really like when, like when a Muppet comes up to somebody, and it's like, oh. I was gonna say it's, it's, there's hi, hi, uh, hi, New Zealand. There's like you a, know, and it's like you weren't there before. <laughs> it's almost like a kind of uh, infant's notion of object permanence at work. Right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes. Well, she did somehow manage to teleport because, as Daniel said, she came from a completely different direction that Phil did. Yeah, and Phil was supposedly coming from her house, and she left after him. Right from her house, and neither of them yes, are on the house. clearly marked, nicely paved trail that would seem to be what leads between their houses. I mean, I, yeah, you know, that would I seem to be. Maybe there's a cut through or something. Yeah, Phil's just walking through. <laughs> He's like, just wandering through this this wonderful forested island. <laughs> if Tina didn't, yeah, if Tina didn't meet up with him, he would have just like been walking around and all of a sudden gone. Wait a second, it's getting dark. <laughs> I'm getting cold. I have no idea where I am. Still muttering about cheese puffs, you know? Because he was simply told to walk through the woods, right? That was his. That was his command that's, from the cat. That's his motivation. Was that, to yes. Take a walk yeah. In the to, woods. to go take a walk and take a talk, I believe. Yeah. Any direct no. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about just Tina's. Um, uh, personality. I am glad you brought this up, John, because that was my number one thing I wanted to address. And I'm not sure if it has been right. addressed on, on previous podcasts, but um, it, it's astonishing to me how relentlessly awful Tina is. <laughs> like, just uh, just she, nonstop. She is, like a, she is a sociopath. She yeah. is just, imp it's impressively callous and and insulting for, for no real reasons other than her own feeling of superiority. Yes. She is. I mean, she's like, she's a teenager to the nth degree. I mean, really, <laughs> she, you know, she's unhelpful. Although she does help with the first batch of cheese puffs, the, the morning batch. Yeah, which just makes her lack of other help sting even more. But see, I don't find her, I don't find her off-putting. I find everyone off-putting around her. Really? I feel like she's the only real human there. And I, that, oh yeah, yeah. like, she's trapped in this world full of crazy people. <laughs> I feel her that mom? way about Susan, actually. <laughs> See, I don't I'm know like, what this what? says about Susan, us. Susan has just got through berating her daughter for coming up with a really good idea about how to prepare a lot of cheese puffs. There's no reason that Susan should have not allowed Tina yeah. to do what Tina wanted to do, except for the fact that she had to threaten Tina so that Tina could not do what she wanted to do <laughs> and then go over to Phil's house. It is true that she did offer to make the cheese puffs, and then, and then does, again, spoiler alert, a little later. But, yeah, right. yeah. You know. There's a lot of spoil. There's a lot of spoiler alerts about cheese puffs. In this, please. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Please watch the entire movie. We did. You you'll enjoy this podcast yes. more. Well, let, let's take a vote. Is you know, who do you think is the normalest person among the cast, the whole cast, and even people we're not seeing in this minute? Oh, the person, the person in the, the normalest black car. person. The person in the black car. Not to give anything away, but the person in the black car is the only one with a good idea. I was I was thinking it was maybe. Um, was it Mr. Financial Wizard or whoever um, Phil talks to on the phone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, I, I don't know if we've got anything. It, it feels like <laughs> feels like that time where we go, do we got anything <laughs> else we need to talk about on <laughs> right. this minute? I just did want to point out that when Duffy gets up at the end of the first bit of the scene and says, oh, this didn't go very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is laying on four cat treats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, I people, missed that. And that the people who directed this show... <laughs> Obviously, have no idea how to operate a cat. Right, how to actually train a cat? <laughs> because the cat's not yeah. even eating what they're giving it, and it's just it's, they're just there. Like it gets up, and there's just cat treats all over the ground. And I was wondering, and you know, not to body shame uh, Squeaky, who uh, makes a special appearance as Duffy, according to the opening credits, which I will point out is also how the late Edward Herman was credited on Gilmore Girls uh, <laughs> as making a special appearance. <laughs> But yeah, not to body shame poor Squeaky, but she seems on the little on the fat side, and I think it's because they don't know how to actually train a cat to act. They just keep forcing keep treats. <laughs> She's bulked up. With her favorite tuna and milk. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> yes. Hey, that's outside our purview for this minute. I think it might have been water, but yeah, that was, that was you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just gross. At least, we haven't, at least we haven't seen where Duffy's been... You know, using different things as the cat box or something like that. Um, he's although he seems to have a lot of beach that they cut to a number of times. It's that he just could use. full of talking cat turds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the turds are talking? No, the turds from a talking cat. <laughs> They're all like, oh, I was say, <laughs> it only it only stands to reason that anything that comes out of a talking cat is going to be able to talk. Right. Isn't that the way people work? Whatever his first owners <laughs> enchanted him with that he doesn't remember. Uh, which you know, yeah. that was a nice backstory dodge. Yeah, <laughs> but again, really outside was. of our purview for this minute, right, uh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so I think that's it. That's it. So let's uh, let's kind of sign off. Um, and um, if you you who are listening would like to follow us and find out more about us, you can find us on SoundCloud at a dash talking dash cast, or uh, on Twitter at a talking cast, or on Facebook slash a talking cast on Stitcher slash podcast slash a talking cast and you can rate and review as you can on iTunes and please subscribe and uh, thank you so much to our guests for today it was a pleasure to be here yeah it was lovely minute by minute that's what they'll be diving in to shed some clarity on this hilariously failed attempt so grab a friend and crack a beer with them and listen in a talking cast is about to begin that was episode 56 of A Talking Cast, the A Talking Cat podcast that nobody ever asked for. It was hosted by me, John Kowalewski, with my guest hosts, Daniel Doughty and Phil Gonzalez. Edited by Darren Husted. Music by Casey Trimble. Voiceover by John Kowalewski. Artwork by Josh Hollis. Executive producers Sarah Cantor and Darren Husted. Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. This podcast is not affiliated with Rapid Heart Productions. A Talking Cat is owned by Rapid Heart Productions. No infringement is intended. In loving memory of Jaden Holmes.